Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, a happy, rain-filled, thunderous, lightning-bolted day for you today. Everybody, we're so glad you're here. My name's Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors. Uh, If you're a guest with us today, let me say a huge thank you for being here. We're in a series called Chapter and Verse. And what we're doing is just kind of going through um, our favorite passages of text in the Bible, things that have been uh, formational in, in the way that I think about the gospel and the way I think about God that has sort of redirected me from my upbringing and the way I used to think about God, the way I used to think about the gospel. And so um, sometimes I get emotional. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I get emotional because um, I'm reminded that I spent half of my life, more than half of my life, not understanding some of this in the way that I do now, and so if, if I get fired up, if I yell, or if I, if I jump, if I do crazy stuff, which that's every Sunday, let's be honest, um, but if I do, man, it, just know that this is, uh, I'm passionate about the Word of God, and, and we say that all the time, you take away everything and just leave us God's Word and God's presence, that will be enough, amen, somebody, that will be enough. Um, so, you know, over the, over the years in helping lead this church, you get interesting feedback from people along the way in the form of email or texts or, or Facebook or face-to-face conversations where people will offer up their, their thoughts on you know, the church or on how you preached or whatever. And, and, and I think that probably people are emboldened or are comfortable to do that at churches in a way. I don't think that they would do that in any kind of business or, or maybe, maybe elementary schools. My brother-in-law, Mark Garcia, one of our pastors here, he's a principal of elementary school. He says that people are very forthright with him uh, all of the time, like unnecessarily so, like violence and, you know, whatever. Um, but but people, people are inclined to just say kind of whatever is on their thoughts. And, and, and of course, by now, I just know that that's part of, the, part of the gig. So you hear everything from it's too loud, it's too quiet, it's too bright, it's too dark, um, it's, too, too what, it's too this or it's too that. Um, and, and, and it's just part of the thing. And, and so one time I was preaching... And this is this years ago. This lady came up to me afterwards, and she's like, hey, I'm, this is my first time here, my family. And she says, hey, man, I just want to, can I give you some feedback? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. She goes, man, like, you're maybe one of the most gifted communicators I've ever heard. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she goes, but, and it was a big but, y'all, like a serious but, you know. And, and, she, and then she pulls out two whole pages of notes, of negative notes that she's written about my, the way that I preach. Not necessarily what I said. She agreed with what I said, but just how I went about it and just blew me up for like 15 minutes. So I was like, and by the way, I'm, this is not a joke. This is like for real, this happened. And, and so w- when, when there are people who've been coming for a while, when you've come to know and, and you love them and they're the kind of people who are just wired up uh, in a positive way and they're the kinds of people who love to affirm people, who love to speak words of life in life-giving ways. And words of life aren't always, hey, you're great. No, sometimes they're like, hey, dude, you need to get better. Um, like, and, 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 but they do it in a life-giving way. You just, you just relish that. Do you guys know what I'm saying? The people that are positive and affirming in your life, if you have those, they're life-giving. I, I can think of two right now, Mac and Malia, right over here, uh, and I, I call them out all the time because I love them and they can handle it. Uh, but I remember the very first time that they came to our church. I remember this. Uh, Mac comes up to me afterwards, and he goes, hey, man, this is going to be weird. It's going to be a little awkward for you. He starts crying a little bit. He goes, man, God said that we're supposed to be in this church and that we're supposed to be here to have your back, to, to, to encourage you, to lift you up, to be an encourager. And they've been doing that, literally. They've been doing that. And no pressure today, guys, by the way. <laughs> like, oh, great. i got to go say good things. You stank to join up, right? But, but, but they've been doing it ever, ever since. And so you look forward to people in your world 
who just uh, affirm and encourage, and even when they have to give you feedback, it's, po- it's done in a life-giving way. And, and those of you who've had that, you know what a breath of fresh air that is. So in light of that, we want to approach the text today, Psalm 103. If you have your Bibles, turn there, Psalm 103, because that's exactly what's happening here in this text. Um, there's no way that I can get through all of the ideas that are presented in this, this psalm. Matter of fact, I had over 30-something pages of notes which I had to this week trim down to seven. You can give, give a good sigh of relief, right? Um, it, it's just locked in with truths and loaded with truths like few other places in all of the text. Matter of fact, Charles Spurgeon, the great theologian and preacher, said it's like a Bible within itself. And he says this, he says, it contains too much for a thousand pens to write. Like how many of you know that's a lot of pens, right? A thousand of them, right? It, it, it is a song. It is a prayer. It is a lyric that is written by David, um, the psalmist, the king, the shepherd boy, um, of, of pure praise to God. There are no requests in there. There, are, there is no hand-wringing anxiousness. There, is no, there, are, there are no complaints. It is just pure praise coming from uh, the pen, uh, the heart of a grateful uh, man. And this is why I love it so much, um, and because David has always inspired me as I was a worship leader for many, many years. And so I, I, think probably, I think probably God loved hearing this from David in the same way that we all love to hear words of affirmation. He's, he's heard a million complaints God has and, and a lot of whines and a lot of hand-wringing and, and why, what are you doing and where are you at and why did you do it that way? So, so to have a lyric like this one sung to him with nothing but praise had to be such a breath of air, a breath of fresh air to God himself. And, and we don't understand why he wrote it. We don't know the conditions, the circumstances we often do in the Psalms. But with this one, we don't. But I'm going to guess that he's older now, and he's looking back over his life, and he just starts counting his blessings. Maybe he's had a bad day. Maybe, maybe he's thinking, man, you know, where's God at in this situation? And, and his mind just takes him to the blessings of God. And, and he knows how good God's been to him. And, and, and he really knows how undeserving uh, in terms of his own lifestyle uh, of all of this that has come his way that, he's, that, that he is. So, so just on the remembrance of God's goodness in his life, he just erupts um, with this praise in Psalm 103, verse 1. Check it out with me on the screens or in your Bibles if you have them. Praise the Lord, my soul. He's talking to himself right out of the gate. Come on, if you talk to yourself, you're with David. You're in good company. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. And I, I grew up reading the King James Version of the Bible, you know, that thee and thou and how great thou art. And, and, and I love the text here from the King James. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And, and he's just doing a pep talk to himself. And again, we don't know why he's feeling the need to, to talk to his own soul um, but, he, but he's doing this, and he's done this before. He's done this in times in his own personal journey when, when things were bad. He would give himself a pep talk. Uh, I, I recount the time when he, he, his, his, his band of, uh, of, of disheartened, disencouraged, disenfranchised uh, men who come to him. He's out in the wilderness. He's not yet the king. He's out in the wilderness. They come to him, and they're, and they're, making, they're, they're doing incredible things. And one day they come back from, from, from war, and they find that, that, that some people, some raiders have come in and taken their wives and their kids and all of their stuff. And, and the men are so disheartened by this that they consider, they consider killing David, their leader, their, 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 their faithful leader. And, and so 1 Samuel uh, 30 and 6 says, but, but David was greatly distressed. And then this incredible line, but David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God, right? But David encouraged himself 
and the Lord is God. And by the way, with all of the negativity in our world today, uh, like you can't even look at social media. God forbid you watch the news. You write, you're like, off with my own head. You know what I'm saying? Afterwards, right? It, it's like, I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, it's just not working for me. My man card gets taken away every time I go that high. Um, right? But, but, but we, we all have to learn the skill of, 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 of encouraging ourselves in the Lord our God. And so he's just, he's just talking to himself. In, in, in Psalm uh, 42, I think it's verses 5 and 6, he's having a conversation just like this where he says, hey, soul, why, why are you so downcast? In other words, why are you in such a bad space? Why are you in such a bad mood? And, and, and maybe the soul would have said back to him, well, dude, look at the, look at the mess you've gotten us into, because David was constantly getting himself in, 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 into binds. But, but David's not buying the negativity that his own, his own inner being is trying to create in his life. And, and, and we've told you this before, and, and I'm going to say it a lot of times, your life and, and, and my life always will move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. It will always move in the direction that the inner dialogue that all of us have, we're not crazy, but we all talk to ourselves a little bit. Come on, you know you do this, right? If you have a moment, a space of, of quietness, of stillness, you will immediately start talking to yourself. And, and, and y- your life will move uh, because you, what you focus on fuels where you go. So if you have a lot of fear in your life, you will become fearful. If you have a lot of faith in your life and you focus on the, the greatness of God, then you'll become faithful. David's learned this. He's learned this earlier in life. And here he is again in Psalm 42, Psalm 103, just talking to himself, trying to encourage himself. And so he's talking to his own soul and he's saying, hey soul, there, there's a drug called praise and I'm about to give you a dose of that drug and it's going to change the way that you feel right now. And so he tells him don't, himself, don't be downcast. Put your hope in God. And we're going to praise him. And we're going to worship him until he comes to where we are, until his presence inhabits our praises because we need some joy. And, and in another place he says, in his presence there is fullness of joy. And, and I think that part of worship, and, and the reason we come up here and sing songs, and the reason we do all of this, it, it just means for us to, to think about God. Right? about his attributes, about his character, about his love for us, like really just sort of zoning our minds, our attention in on his greatness and then connecting our heart to that and responding in worship that as God reveals himself to us through his word, through us thinking about him, then all of a sudden we respond to that. That's what worship is. God reveals and, and, and we respond. And, and in the process of that, even if you were walking into this place today, downcast, downtrodden, the weather's gotten to you, anxious, whatever, but in the process of that, as we begin to think and as we begin to sing the songs, uh, our mind gets revealed revamped and, and revved up to a whole new way of thinking. And then our minds, I know this sounds like crazy psychology, but our minds have the capacity to tell our souls, hey, perk up, man. I know we've been, we woke up in a bad mood, but man, let's, let's go. We're renewed. There's, there's hope. God's with us. God's good. God's for us. We're moving forward. And the soul will say, like a little kid who doesn't want to go to church or wherever, I don't feel like it. I don't want to. And because you're a good parent, you're like, get up and do it anyway. And, 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 and a mind has the power to do that. And, and, and the way that we find the capacity to do that is in worship, is in doing what David's doing here. And, and I've said this a million times here, that worship is rocket fuel for the soul. You want to get out of the doldrums of life, you start singing praises to God, right? And this is what's happening. David says, some of us need a doctor, you need a drug. Your soul's all jacked up from this world. There, there's fuel for the soul, and it's, and it's worship. And you start to realize in the process of all that, that, that I don't feel as heavy as I did when I walked in. That's why we encourage you to come, right? Not just like to, to I know that you might melt out there, but when you get in here, most of the time it doesn't leak in here. One time, 
Were y'all here that time we had 127 leaks in the building? Like, I'm not, that's how many buckets we found to put out. Like, it's not doing that today. Come on, give a witness to God. Like, I ain't got nothing to praise God for. It ain't raining in here yet. Anyways, uh, praise to Jesus, right? But, but here's the thing. The thing that happens is the soul gets lifted in worship. And here's why. Because your mind, your, your soul was made by God, and it was made for God. And it is at most at peace, and it is at most at joy, and it is most comfortable in God's presence, which is why in God's presence there is fullness of joy, that something happens in your heart, in your life, that connects to the heart of God, and it changes everything. And there are going to be moments in your life where you're going to have to know how to do what David did, but David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. And I simply don't know of a better way than to lift my life and my song and my hands and my heart in reverence and in praise and in worship. So that's verse one. Y'all ready for verse two? All right, they're not all gonna be that long. Stay with me. Psalm 103, verse two. Praise the Lord, my soul. He says it again. And forget not all his, would you say it? His benefits. This is the benefits package of, of what it means to follow Jesus that we're gonna hear in Psalm 68, David describes his benefits like this. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, who daily loads us uh, with benefits. And he says, who daily loads us with benefits, and he's the God of our salvation. It's like when you live with Jesus, it's not like all, everything is perfect and everything is wonderful, but every day there's a big old pile of blessings that he drops us on, on us every day. It's, it's grace on top of grace. And, and David feels the need to say, and let's not forget that. Let's not forget that he daily does this for us, that he loads us with benefits because it's easy to do so because the human nature is inclined to be better at complaining than it is about praising. Right? Come on, you have kids? Come on, everybody with me, right? Like that's, that's our nature. Our native instinct is to complain, to whine, to be anxious, to wring our hands rather than it is to, to, to give worship uh, to, to God. So he says, listen, Forget not all of his benefits, most of which, by the way, I don't even know, know if we know that they're happening or that they're from God. We want to take credit for them or, or, or it, was, it was luck that happened in our lives. But listen, most of the blessings, the Bible says that every good thing, every perfect thing comes from where? From above, from, from the Father. And, 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 and it's such an important thing to do is to, to realize the benefits that God has given us because there are times in life, there are times in life when life is hard. And the world has put a beat down on us. And we can't seem to find anything to praise God for, for. Which is why this psalm is so important a thing to read constantly. Because what David, David is doing here is David's worship and his praise were always rooted in, in, in two uh, realities, if I can use that language. The, the reality of who God is and the reality of what God's done. Right? That there are two things going on all of the time that become the fuel of our worship, no matter what. Because sometimes life doesn't go our way. And sometimes it's, it's difficult to offer what the writer of Hebrews said, uh, to continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. That's hard to do unless your worship is rooted in both the attributes of God, the person of God, and the hand of God, or the, the doings of God, the blessings of God. Because if your life is like mine, there are some days that come in our lives. So, some, some, some really dark days that have happened, and I can think of some of those right now, where not only is God's hand not evident, it doesn't seem like God's anywhere around at all. 
Like, God, I'm praying. God, I'm trying my best to do the right thing, and I, I can't seem to get a, a, a breakthrough in life. I don't know how in the world I'm supposed to get through this stretch. And those are the days, I think, where you move your worship and your praise from, from the doings, the blessings of God. You move it to the other side of the equation, to, to the person of God, uh, for who he is. Not, not just for what he's done, but, but for, for who he is. And, and, and in those days, you, you give a praise, a sincere praise, a worship to God for who he is, even when you're not sure where he's at or what he's doing. And when our worship is rooted in who he is, which is unchanging, always loving, all the time, and what he's done, then there's always something to praise God for. And this is what David is doing with this psalm. He's bringing both of these ideas to life. When you can say, I praise you, God, even in the dark, even when I can't see your hand, I, I, I know who you are. You're a faithful God. You're the creator of the world. You're merciful. You're kind. You're the same forever. And I'm just going to praise you for your goodness, for, for your godness, for your attributes, just because of who you are. And if you never do anything else for me ever again, you are still worthy God and worthy of my best worship. And that is probably what it means to offer a sacrifice of, of praise and worship to God. And I believe that God loves that more than just you responding to his blessing things, when you respond to him, when things aren't going well, and you say, God, I will worship you, I will praise you no matter what. I think that strikes the heart of God more than any other kind of worship. Can I get a good amen, somebody? That's the fuel for your worship, who he is and what he's done. And this is what David's doing. And so David, David's starting to call to mind some of the, the doings of God in his own life. And he blesses him, and, and by extension, in our lives. And, and here, here's what he go, goes on and says in verse 3. Who, who forgives, would you say this with me? All your sins. And, and he heals all of your diseases. These, these are the twin mercies of God. That Some people know that he's the forgiver of the sins, but they don't know that he's also the healer, that he can do both, right? He doesn't always do it in the time. He doesn't always do it in the way. But, but he's the God who forgives, and he's the God who heals. And by the way, that, that's the best news that you've heard today or any other day, by the way, that he heals all of our sins, that he forgives all of our diseases. That's good news, isn't it, somebody, right? S -s Some of us have, if you're like me, in your lifetime, you have really blown it big time. You've messed up. You've made mistakes over and again. And, and some of us, frankly, myself included, have done some of the, the same things over and again that we promised God. God, I'll, I promise I'll never do that again. And, and yet here we are finding ourselves doing it again. So I'm so glad that the word all, right, is included because it means that God not only can heal, uh, forgive my past mistakes, even my present mistakes, but he's going to forgive all of my future sins, not just the ones in the past. Th think about this. If you grew up anything like I did, you, 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 know, you know sort of intrinsically that when you come to faith in Christ that he is the forgiver of all of your sins in the past, right? We know that. But, but sometimes religion will take its hold in our lives where we think, well, now I'm in a foot race with the devil, right? And praise God, hopefully at the end of my life, I'll be one step ahead of, of his works in my own life so that God will let me in. But, but listen to me. That's not how it works at all. When Christ died to pay the price for our sins, all of our sins were in the future. You weren't alive back when Jesus died, were you? If you did, you were really old right now, super old. Like you should get lots more benefits than you do right now, right? You're very, very, very old, and we want to know you even more now, right? All of our sins were in the future. And what that's telling you is it doesn't, that all of our sins that are still in our future, Christ has already paid for them 
fully and completely. When he said on the cross, it is finished, this is what he meant. He forgives all of our sins, past, present, and future. Because, And this is such a huge insight for us to know because it, it touches on how we see God. He's more willing to forgive than we are to be forgiven. But he's also the God who would say that by Jesus' stripes, you are healed. He's our healer and he's our forgiver. And David had experienced this personally. So he's like, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Forget not all of his benefits. Who, who forgives all of our sins and who heals all our diseases. And verse four, verse four, who redeems your life from the pit. Who, who redeems your life from the pit. Now, now this is a, a notion that we can just sort of blow past, but I, I want to unpack this for you a minute here. The, the, the pit is a word that, for lack of a better way to describe it, is, has ideas in it that sort of run on two parallel tracks like a train track. The, the first is the pit is simply the grave. It's, it's death, right, in a physical sense. But also in the spiritual sense, he's talking about eternal life apart from God, right? That's the pit. But the pit has also got its notion, particularly in Bible times, because slavery was very prevalent. Uh, even in the Old Testament, these nations would war against each other. They would take people off to become their slaves. And oftentimes what would happen is they would dig. They didn't have a, a jail. They didn't have a place to hold them. They would dig big pits, and they would put them at night in the pit, and they would cover the pit so that they couldn't escape. And so they, these, these slaves would be left in the terrors of darkness, of rats and, and rain and, and moisture and un uncomfort or, or discomfort. That's what they'd be left with in, in, in the horrors and the terrors of, of pitch black darkness. And so David says, hey, God, I want to praise you today because you, you, you redeemed me. You, you delivered me from, from all of that. And so when he says, who redeems your life from the pit, this is no small feat. This is no small thing. He's talking about God's, he's talking prophetically about God's downward act in Jesus of coming and paying the price for our redemption. Redemption is a huge word. I want to I give it to you again. Uh, ba basically, it means simply deliverance by the payment of a price. Deliverance by the payment of a price. And the idea of redemption is so hard for you and I to understand because most of us, probably none of us, have ever been enslaved, right? But, but, but if you can sense a, a little bit of the horror of being a slave or, or, or being in prison where you're locked up and you can't do anything about it, um, most of us have no idea what that feels like to be stripped of any personal rights, um, no dignity, no freedom to become, in, in the terms of slavery, to become the property of another person, no longer a human being with inalienable rights, but merely a thing, a tool to be used, to, to, to be discarded, to be abused or, or neglected at the whim of somebody who, who, who owns you. Now, now, it's hard for us to conceptualize that. But, but if you could, if you could just imagine being enchained, enslaved every day, you have no decision-making no decision power, right? If you can imagine the, the horror of that, the helplessness, then you can start to understand what redemption is, this New Testament idea, it is the idea of someone, in this case, a perfect stranger, literally perfect, appearing out of nowhere and paying the debt, assuming the responsibility. In fact, exchanging places within you, you and I in, in the shackles. Being redeemed means that somebody came from the outside who has come to our rescue and set us free. And this, by the way, is the essence of the cross of Christ. Because of our sins, we were enslaved, we were trapped, we were helpless, 
We didn't have dignity without humanity, without hope. And then God came to our rescue. And you know the, the gospel, the good news is as simple as that. We were lost. We were helpless. We were hopeless. We had no way to get to God, right? But then God in Jesus came to our rescue in the pit, in the darkness. Jesus came and bought us and set us free. So, so in redemption, redemption is one of the five great sort of Roman words that describe the process of salvation. It, the, the sinner stands before God in a pit, enslaved with a cruel taskmaster, sin, the enemy, but he's purchased. And he's not just purchased to be put into the sort of uh, harem uh, or, or, the, or the sort of tribe of, of other slaves. He's purchased for the is, explicit purpose of being set free. Listen, I'm going to buy you back, not to put you to work in, uh, with the rest of the slaves, but just simply to say, you are free to go live your life however you want to. So this is what, what David is saying, is that we are accused, but he bore our punishment, right? We are debtors, but Jesus Christ paid our debts, right? Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. We are strangers, but in him we are made the sons and the daughters of God. We were enemies of God, the Bible says, but because of Jesus, we become the friends of God. We were slaves, but he has bought our freedom. Do you see this? Do you see how powerful this word redemption is? And our freedom was purchased with the very blood of Jesus Christ for the sole purpose of setting us free to live a life that makes a difference, to not live a wasted life, but, but with the purposes and the gifts and the talents, he rescues us and says, now go out and change the world. That's what David's saying here. Paul says in, in Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That's the whole point, for freedom. So verse 4, who redeems your life from the pit. But I want you to notice this. This is the grace of God on display, who redeems us out of the pit, who not only purchases us, sets us free, but then comes, cleans us up, and sets a crown of love and compassion on, on our heads. He's not just the God who rescues us up from the pit. He's the God who cleans us up. He's the God who sets us aright. Who's the God who puts a ring on our finger and says, you are, my, I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what's been part of your life. You are my son. You are my daughter. And, and the King of kings and the Lord of lords places a crown of compassion and love and grace on every one of our heads. And if that doesn't fire you up a little bit, I don't know how to get you fired up. Okay, anyways, I'm going to keep going and trying. I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep trying. I'm not talking about a jeweled crown like earthly kings and queens wear, but I'm talking about something infinitely more valuable, his unfailing love and compassion, his tender mercies, as the old King James describes it, that he wore a crown of thorns that we might wear the victor's crown because of what Jesus did for us, somebody. Amen. I'm going to say amen to myself. Amen, Danny. Great preaching, bro. David, David is talking here about the loyal, unending, unchanging love of God towards us. He heaps up his blessings daily, Psalm 68, and then he just dumps grace on top of grace on top of grace, and he crowns us with love and compassion, who, verse 5, satisfies your desire with good things. Come on, everybody say good things. This is so important. To be satisfied is not like Thanksgiving where you eat a ton, you feel miserable, you feel like you got to undo the top button because it's going to kill somebody as it blows off and kills somebody across the room like a bullet, like a speeding bullet. Like, and then four hours later, you're, you're, you're going back in for 18th. Come on. It's not like that kind of satisfaction, right? Because when God satisfies you, he satisfies you in such a way that you never need anything else. And what does he fill us up with? He satisfies us with 
Come on, say it again. With good things. I love how Eugene Peterson translates this in the message. He says, he wraps you in goodness, beauty, eternal. Man, what a way with words. And, and maybe if you're like me, come on now, let me just get real with you for a minute. Maybe if you're like me and you grew up the way I did where I constantly felt like I was miserably failing God in every capacity. He was chronically disappointed with me. Maybe you would say, well, Danny, listen, I, I, that's a good notion that he satisfies us with good things, but I'm not worthy of those good things. I, I know who I am. I know what I've done. I know what I've been part of, I, I, but I need you to know, I need you to know at least two things about the goodness of God, all right? Because I want you to reframe how you see the goodness of God. N number one, God's goodness is based on an everlasting covenant. How long does that last? Ever, right? You're like, ever? Yeah, forever, right? Forever. That, this is an everlasting covenant. Jeremiah 32 gives us this idea. He says, verse 40, I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and I will, as a result, never stop doing good to them. Listen, I'm going to give you a ton of good news today, and even if you never say amen or clap or look at me with a kind word in your heart right now because you're like, it's raining, we can't respond to anything, I don't care. Listen, I'm giving you the good news. I'm going to bring the heat anyways, all right? You ready for this? When God makes a promise, this is what the word is saying, he keeps it. He's not flighty. He's not wishy-washy. That's part of who, what God or what makes God who he is. The second part of this is even better. God's goodness is promise-based, not performance-based. Now, I want you to understand this. In other words, God's goodness to you is based on his character. His character is on trial, not yours and mine. Because if it were my character that was on trial, then I would never have experienced the goodness of God. But thanks be to God that when God looks at me, he sees Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the, the, the sacrifice of Jesus, and his performance, not my own. That's good, 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 good news, y'all. The enemy, listen, the enemy wants us to be unaware of how much God is in the good that happens in our life. He wants us to think we did that or it was blind luck or it was whatever, right? To be blind to God's extravagant goodness. But Jesus says in Luke's gospel that he came to proclaim in, in this day and age the, 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 the year of the Lord's favor. Would you say favor with me? It's the year of the Lord's favor. This is what Jesus wants us to do in response, to be proclaimers of goodness, of God's goodness and favor, that we have every reason to be optimistic. doesn't matter what's happening in the country, in the economy, at our job. We have every, in our health, we have every reason to be optimistic. We have every reason to be confident. We have every reason to have an attitude of gratitude to be old school, right? To be thankful. We have every reason to look for God's goodness in every situation and in every circumstances that God deserves the credit for every good thing because every good thing comes from the Father, the Bible says. Every opportunity, every open door, every benefit, every challenge in my life, somehow God says in Romans 8, 28 that he's going to work it for my good. So rather than you and I calling that good luck, I'm just going to say I serve a good, good God who satisfies our desires with what? With what? With good things. i got to skip verses 6 and 7, even though I really want to talk to you about verse 7, because all of the next text comes from Exodus chapter 32 through 34. And in verse 7 it says, And God revealed himself to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. I ain't got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. The Lord God is merciful and gracious and slow to anger. I'm going to slow down for a minute because this is... Mm. The Lord is merciful and he's gracious He's slow to anger despite what you may have heard about him. 
and he's abounding in what kind of love? Steadfast. I'll come back to verse 9. He does not deal with us according to our sins. He does not deal with us in the way we deserve. You ever seen one of your kids do something bad and you're like, mm, I ought to tan their hides. That's what my mother used to say. I don't even know what that means. It sounds bad. Daniel, I'm going to tan your hide. What does that mean? Is that good? Because if it is, I want it. Right? It doesn't mean good. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't deal with us the way that we deserve. This is what the text is saying. Like, in other words, God does not do a one-for-one one retribution all throughout the course of your week for every time you had a bad thought, every time you did a wrong thing. He doesn't come along wacky with us. Can you imagine if God was only just, that if he were only holy, and he didn't have mercy, tender mercy, how black and blue would I be during the week when I come up here on Sunday, like all jacked up, tooth missing, like four teeth over here off, big Danny jerk, like wax me again. He has every right to do it that way. But he doesn't. You know what David's saying here? Though God has every reason, good reasons, to deal with us according to our sins and to repay us according to all the bad stuff we've done, he doesn't do it. In fact, in, in fact, rather than looking for reasons to be angry with you and I, he's looking for excuses to be gracious to us. He is reluctant even in his anger towards us, David says. It's a reluctant anger, right? It, it, he has to work himself up to get to it. And why does he do this? Because if you read the Old Testament, you know that the wrath of God gets poured out on somebody. somebody sin causes God's anger to be unfurled like nothing else. So why does God do this and how does he do this? The, the reason why God does not deal with us according to our sins the reason he doesn't deal with us according to our sins is because he put on Jesus on the cross what was required. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus instead of you and me. That the reason why God does not repay us according to our iniquities is because he repaid his son in accordance to all of the sins we committed. All of the anger and the hostility that, that, that invoked were poured out on Jesus. Because I want you to understand something here. This is not, hey, live however you want and do whatever you want. This is what, what I'm saying is God did not sort of willy-nilly cast aside our sins as if they were of no consequence. Rather, Isaiah 53, 6 says that he laid on him, upon Jesus, the iniquity of us all. That God did not casually ignore the dictates of his holiness and of his righteous character. Rather, he wounded Jesus for our transgressions and he crushed him for our iniquities, Isaiah 53 and 5. That this and this alone is why we can sing and we can celebrate that God does not and never will deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities because he already put it on Jesus because of his amazing grace, somebody. His grace is amazing. This is what I'm trying to get to. Now, this doesn't mean that he never gets angry, that he never punishes us, because the Bible says that for whom the Lord loves, he, he what? He chastens, he scourges. But the Bible says that, and here's the promise in verse 9, that he will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. And I want to give you context of that verse with another verse, Psalm 30, that, that, that the psalmist gives us, verse 5. For his anger lasts only a moment but his favor lasts a lifetime. So, 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 so he gets angry sometimes, but he gets angry for a moment. And, and, and David said he's super slow to get there. 
But he gets over it really quickly. But I want you to understand this. But even when he gets angry, he never changes his position towards you. He's locked in a position of goodness and favor, which he's put on your head as a crown. Because we often get this verse backwards. We've heard that God's angry, that he's the grumpy God in the sky who's just waiting to get mad at us and turn his back on us. That, that when we do the wrong thing, that his anger lasts a lifetime and his favor only lasts for that moment when we get all things right. Wrong, wrong. He's a God who crowns you with compassion and tender mercies, the old King James says it. Why tender mercies? Why not tender justice? He would have been just as right saying that. Because verse 14, he goes on and says, he knows our frame. He knows that we are dust. He knows that we're going to make mistakes. And rather coming to us when we've done wrong and beating us over the head, he crowns us with tender mercies. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 2 that, he, that he, it is kindness that leads us to repentance. Like, like, I don't want you to live like that, but I, I'm going to, in my kindness, in my grace, in my generosity to you, I'm going to lead you that his love is unbounding. It's steadfast. His love is not fickle. His love is not fragile. It's nothing like ours. It's rock solid. It's locked in a no matter what position. So, so not only is he slow and reluctant to get angry, not, not only does he not treat us as we deserve to be treated based on our own track records, but now... Verse 11, and I wish I had time. Now he's wanting us to know how much he loves you. And it's like David steps back. He's looking at the grace of God. He's looking at the blessings, the favor of God, the grace on top of grace that he knows. I don't deserve this. And he's trying to figure out a way to describe this. And he looks and he says, he says this, for for as high as the heavens are above the earth. Here's the magnitude of it. Here's the the magnanimous nature of God towards us. As far as as, as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. You cannot comprehend it. uh, Paul writes in Ephesians 3, he says, I pray that you'll know the love of God, the the width, the breadth, the depth, the height of the love of God. This is exactly what the psalmist is doing here. And and then to describe the way that he does not treat us according to the the, the way we, we deserve. He says, as far as the east is from the west, which, by the way, is infinity, if you're trying to figure that out. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Like, like I, I know you guys are all perfect and you don't make mistakes. And I know that maybe because of that, it doesn't mean to you what it means to me. Because... Married folk are going to know what I'm saying. Ma- married folk, we lead the nation in remembering each other's wrongs. Like, remember that time in 1974 when you did that thing to me? Do you, this is, like, you have a chart and a graph. Like, you, you, you have PowerPoint presentations to remind us each other of, of the, even, even though Paul says in 1 Corinthians that love keeps no records of wrongs, oh, but we know how to do it. We're good. But God says, listen to me, through the, through, through the pen of David, as, as far as, as high as the heavens are above the earth. I, I read yesterday in, in one of my 30,000 bits of notes that I have, I, I put it in there, that, that it's 78 billion light years away, the farthest galaxy that, that we've seen so far. And a light year is like 6 million miles, I think. Like, it gets into the sextillion miles. That's how high 
as far as the east as, as the as the heavens are above the earth like you can't even comprehend that and that's exactly what David's saying and, and as far as the east is from the west so far has he removed my transgressions from me it's the best news ever a king named David 4,000 years ago ish I don't really know how far I'm just making up a number right now is that okay it was a long time ago, before Nam. Like I used to, I always say back in Nam, this was before that. He wrote these words, man. Verse 20, I, I, can't, I can't do it. Praise the Lord, you his angels. You mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts. You, his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, and all that is within me. When you realize the greatness, the love, the compassion, the mercy, the patience of God, the net result is, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And this is why we say, hey, if you don't mind, could you lift your hands in a praise to God? This is why we say, would, would you sing this song from your heart today? This is why we sing that, because you're singing to a God who deserves greater than my greatest efforts. And a God who's in this space, a God who comes down to us in Jesus and says, I want to have a relationship with you. I'm not angry, God, that you've been presented to from your religion of your youth. I'm the God who's out like the father at the roadside looking for a lost son and lost daughter, waiting not to point my fingers of condemnation at you, but to say, open arms, open arms, bring it in. You wayward sons and daughters, you, you miserable lost sons and daughters, bring it in. I do this with my girls. Come home, get down with my little one because she's super little. Come here, Naomi, bring it in, bring it in. She gives me the biggest, tightest squeeze, and I want to just squeeze her so she'll know. Do this with Noel. Pat her on the head, kiss her on the head. Bring it in, baby girl. How great is the love of the Father towards us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. St stand with me, would you? Man, I'm so far past the time. It's the other church. Let's, can we let the third service people in so we can have a full crowd? Is that, would that be all right? <laughs> can I just preach again? Ah, sorry. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. Man, thank you for your love and your grace. For more than half my life, Lord, I didn't understand. I didn't know it. I didn't get it. I still don't get it. I still don't know how. I still don't know why. But I will live my life as a living sacrifice to you. I pray you find me holy and acceptable. This is my spiritual act of worship, Romans 12 says. Lord, there are folks in this room today for whom they've never given their lives to you. They don't know even what that means, but, but maybe they've heard in this expression, this imperfect, very imperfect expression of Psalm 103. Maybe they've seen a glimpse of just a little bit of who you are, and they want to respond to that with, Lord Jesus, would you, would you come live in my heart? Would you come be the Lord of my heart? Would you come be the forgiver of my sins? Would you come and with your good spirit, would you make yourself at home in me, Lord? I want to follow you. I want to live for you. I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to be Lord and Savior. I, I choose, Lord, 
to follow you. I believe that you died. I believe that you paid the redemption price. And I want to sing a redemption song. I want to say thank you, Lord. My best expression is to say all of me to you, Lord Jesus. Here I am, such as I am. I give you me, Lord. And in the doing of that, Lord, the Bible says that we become new creations. We become brand new creations. And I wonder, I wonder if LifePoint, if we could just give a celebration for those who might have just done that right now. Can we celebrate new things, everybody? <laughs> Amen. Amen. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.